Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as Deirdre mentioned in her introduction, um, we spent the last couple of weeks looking at a biblical vision for the family of God made up of all nations of people. It is really uh, central to the, the work and the promises of God to bring all nations and all people, all languages, all cultures together. His family, his nation, his kingdom will be made up of, of every tribe and language on the face of the planet. And that is the, the, the vision from Genesis through Revelation, and that's really a part of what we should be seeking as God's people. And last week, we looked at um, the church's complicity in discrimination and in racism, that, and, and at times where the church has actually fought against um, the, the vision of the people of God, uh, made up of all nations and all peoples and all languages colors and races and languages, and so we saw last week that, that really it is our responsibility, if we were to follow the example of Daniel, not only to uh, admit the, the sins of our past, but to identify ourselves um, with the church in those eras, because we are one. If, if the Spirit of God has indeed uh, come into us as His people and has made us one in Christ, the scriptures say that we are one with each other, and we are one with the historical church. And so uh, we may not have actually committed those various crimes, but we are unified with them in the responsibility of, of repenting, of repenting. And so we, we see in Micah 6.8, a very popular verse, um, that uh, God has called us to do justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So today, we are going to look at what does it mean to do justice? You know, the song is a great song, Let Your Justice Roll Down. Well, we all love that idea, but clearly, um, we can see in our own society that there is not clarity on what the term justice means. Uh, it's not only dividing our society, it's also dividing the church. Um, I was uh, at, um, Ann and I went to a Pastors and Wives Conference this, earlier this week in, in Colorado with Acts 29, and about half of the network was present, and almost every pastor I talked to um, said that, the, that there has been significant challenges in their churches in regard to how to view um, these conflicts and these divisions around race and, and what justice is. And so it's a huge challenge for our culture and for the church at this time. So that's what we want to do today. We want to look at what, is, what does justice mean, or at least get a framework for justice, uh, and look at some con contemporary theories of justice and where they're consistent or inconsistent with, with, with God's vision, and then to see what it would mean for us as a church to engage in justice biblically defined. So before I start, I would like to pray. Lord God, we are thankful for the word that you provide to us that gives us clarity as to your nature and to your purposes. And Father, we're thankful that um, this, this, this idea of justice is, is really central to who you are and what you are doing in this world. And your, your early promises to Abraham uh, Lord God, as we recall, uh, you told him that you would raise up through him a people devoted to righteousness and justice. 
And we see, Lord God, that that is indeed your calling on us as a church. And so, Father, we, we really long to embody this calling that you have upon uh, on our lives as individuals, as families, as a church, so that we can live uh, in this world. And Lord God, we do pray for the world that we live in. As you instruct us, we pray that you would work through the government authorities uh, to bring about justice. And Lord God, we pray that you would work in people to pursue justice. In your son's name we pray, amen. So it would be helpful to start out with some definitions. The word righteousness is central to the concept of justice because the word righteousness refers to the ordering of good and right relationships. It is the ideal that God has established in his character and calls humanity to, righteousness. The ordering of good and right relationships. So it's if everything were working out perfectly, that would be righteousness. Justice, justice is the restoration of righteousness when righteousness is violated. So the efforts of justice are seeking to rebuild relationships, rebuild people, rebuild churches, rebuild families, rebuild society. So justice is the work that God engages in and that we engage in as his people to bring about righteousness in every aspect of our lives. Those are two way, those are the two big ideas that are present in this conversation, righteousness and justice. Now the two passages I've I've uh, and will be using this morning are Proverbs chapter 28 verse 5 and Ecclesiastes 5 8 through 9. So I'm drawing from the wisdom literature because the intent of the wisdom literature is to produce righteousness in people, justice and equity. At the beginning of Proverbs, he states what his purpose are, to produce righteousness, justice, and equity. And equity is a level playing field. Things are fair so that everybody has the opportunity to pursue their calling, to pursue what God has called them to. It doesn't mean... Um, all the outcomes are going to be exactly the same. It doesn't mean that every person is exactly the same. It means that every person has a level playing field for engaging life. That's why I'm looking at the wisdom literature this morning. So Ecclesiastes 5.8 is the first passage I'd like to look at. If you see in a province or a state or a nation or a city the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness... Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now, let's just look at some of the ideas here, President. I think that they're really relevant. Um, the first one I want to look at is the correlation of justice and righteousness. As I've said, you, you have both. They come together. If you have a, a, a culture or a society, a city, nation, state, that is increasingly unjust, 
and unrighteous, it's because there isn't a, well, there's a, there are a number of reasons. Let me take a step back. There has to be a recognition of what righteousness is. What is the good? What is the true? If a, if a culture lacks an, a comprehension of what that is, what is the good life? It will be unable to execute justice. The, the goals cannot be defined. And, and that is really one of the efforts, and we're going to get into some of the modern theories of, of justice. The goal in, in, in um, libertarianism, which would be conservative, and the goal in liberalism, which would be well, liberal, the goal of those early philosophers and those, those theories of justice was to, to move away from a concept of good based upon religion or morality. Because they looked through history and saw that that just caused a lot of problems, and so certainly we must be able to come to a set of, of ideals and truths without the encumbrance of religion. Contemporary philosophers are increasingly seeing that we can't do that, <laughs> that we can't do that. But if a, if a, if a people do not have a common understanding of what the good and right and true is, there will not be justice. There will not be justice. Justice is not dependent upon peace. Justice is dependent upon righteousness. And peace is dependent upon the execution of both. The other thing I think this is really, it's this, you know, Proverbs are observations of what is really going on in the world on a general basis. They're not promises. They're not 100% truisms. They're observations of the world. And he says, you know, don't be amazed at the oppression of the poor. Don't be amazed at the violation of justice or the violation of righteousness. Because there are levels of bureaucracy upon bureaucracy upon bureaucracy. And it seems to be saying that the more complex a society becomes and the more levels of bureaucracy that exists, the further and further you're going to get away from justice and righteousness being realized in that group of people. But then it concludes with this statement. A king, which is the highest official, a king committed to cut cultivated fields is gain for land in every way. And so what, what, it's, what it's also saying is that if the highest levels of a nation's leadership can see to the basic, most fundamental need that we have, food, all right, work, the everyday work of people, if you have the highest officials in the land concerned with the most basic fundamental elements of society, you're going to have a nation, a people, a city, etc., that is gaining, that is doing well, that is profitable. There's, there are similar proverbs, um, when it's, and I'm just quoting this from memory. When a king pays attention to the needs of the poor, he will establish his kingdom for a very long period of time. 
So there's, this, there's these understandings of, of how justice is worked out that is reflected in Ecclesiastes. And in the, the Proverbs is, a, is an amazing verse. Evil men do not understand or discern justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Completely. So it's a bold statement. We're going to unpack it as we go through here. But to, to think about being able to understand justice completely. I mean, philosophers have wrestled with these ideas for thousands of years. A great book that I have used for this, this, uh, this message this morning is, is a book called Justice by Michael Sandel. He's a, a professor at, uh, I believe it's Columbia or, or New York University. Um, kind of the, the most well-respected philosopher in the area of justice today. Um, and uh, he, he writes books upon books upon books and summarizes the, the millennia of conversation around this. It is not a simple subject, but yet one who seeks the Lord can understand it completely. And I looked up that word completely. To say, is there some nuance to that? It means completely. It means completely. One of the biggest challenges maybe even failures of, a, of, of the church is its, is its lack of articulating what God has said is a biblical theory of justice. What we've seen over the last, well, not just over the last few years with all of the, the turmoil surrounding our own city, but what we've seen throughout history is the church latching on to a theory of justice that has come from contemporary philosophers at, philosophers of the, at those times. And it, it, it has failed to examine the word of God, examine the will and the purposes of God, and, and articulate a theory of justice that governs how the people of God think about justice. And so what I want to, what I want to do is just look at um, there, there are four prominent theories of justice today in our culture, libertarian, liberal, utilitarian, and postmodern. I want to go quickly through these four. So the libertarian view, which we would call the conservatives, sees that justice is essentially freedom. A just society is a free society. Free society means that individuals have the, the right to choose who they are, what they want to do, how they want to pursue life, specifically as opposed to restrictions that the government might put on them. And so central to the ideas of libertarianism are uh, personal responsibility, uh, the, the, the private ownership of, of property, and so there's a, there's a, it, it, and those are strong things, and those are elements, those are elements into a biblical view of justice. But, but as is the case with all of these theories of justice, they're somewhat short-sighted and seem to be focused on fixing one particular big problem and not covering all of the various challenges that are presented whenever you have people living and working together as, as families, as as churches, as neighborhoods, as cities, as nations, as the world. The, one of the weak elements of libertarianism is that it negates the obligations that we owe 
to community. See, we are born into a family. We are born into um, a people, a nation, a race. We are born into a history. And, And if we fail to recognize that what we are born into kind of connects us and obligates us to some things, if we see our life is dictated by our own personal choices, what I want to do and what I want to own, and that, and that what I do with those things are completely up to me. If we negate that, we, we miss a significant part of, of biblical justice. The next one, liberal, sees that justice is essentially fairness. They also pursue the ideal of individual freedom, but believe that individual freedoms are dependent upon a certain number of rights. And only when we have these, these rights established are we truly free. So um, health care, a certain e- income, a certain amount of safety. You know, there's a, there's a, this is the predominant view in our culture now. So there are, some, there are some fundamental aspects of life that we all have to have in order to be free. If I'm hungry, I'm not really free to pursue what I would like. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm unhealthy, if I'm not making enough money, you see, so that's where you can, can see that, okay, then it is the state's responsibility to provide those things. It's the state's responsibility to provide the, the foundations for what everybody needs to be free. Well, the libertarians would say, well, where are you going to, if, if you need to give things to people so that they have, that means you're going to have to probably take it from others. And so liberalism can be coercive and actually restrict individual freedoms for the good of some. The third one is utilitarian. Utilitarianism believes that justice is essentially happiness. The goal of a just society should be to pursue the greatest amount of happiness uh, for the greatest amount of people, okay? And so uh, one of the examples that um, Sindel gives in his book is, you know, if you had had a billionaire um, who obviously has gobs and gobs of money and probably will never spend all of his or her money over the course of their lifetime, but then you have somebody... um, who isn't making ends meet. Uh, it, it's a just thing to take $1,000 from the billionaire and give it to the person who isn't um, making ends meet because that's going to greatly increase the level of happiness for the person that needs 1000 bucks. whereas it wouldn't affect the billionaire's level of happiness at all, right? The happiness level would be most noted in the person in need. So that's utilitarianism. The the strength of the argument is that it is doing its, its, its goal is to really minimize the most amount of suffering. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. However, uh, it is willing to subject the freedoms of the few for the interests of the many. One, another example that he gave was that, um, you know, if, if you had a majority, and this has happened in our country in regard to, to, to racism, if you have a majority at the time thinking that a particular religion or a particular color of skin uh, and, 
certain actions towards those minority groups would lead to a greater happiness for the majority groups, and the majority group is going to work to do whatever they want to do to those smaller groups in order to benefit the larger majority. In fact, I saw yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, maybe it was Thursday or Friday, anyway, France is actually working to close down mosques in France. If they perceive that the teachings coming out of the mosques are promoting violence, which is understandable, but promoting hate. Well, who defines hate? Who defines hate? If the majority of the people in France define hate as <clears throat> any of the moral teachings that Islam has, then it's going to consider that a, a worthy enough excuse to shut down mosques. And so this should be of concern to us. This should be of concern to us. Because it is squeezing the freedoms of those who follow Islam for the good of the whole, which is in pursuit of a secular society. The fourth one is postmodern, whereas they see that justice or the acquisition or the carrying out of justice is, is essentially tied to the holding of power. So justice is power as opposed to oppression. And really postmodern justice theory came out of a historical view over the centuries that saw uh, the state and the king and monarchies and structured societies and religion as these big frameworks that structured all of life, but essentially uh, were created for the oppression of people and for the holding up and establishing of power for a few uh, at the detriment of the many. And this is and so communism comes out of these kinds of theories. This, this postmodern view, and really Marxism was a, a strong proponent in the postmodern theory of justice. And it, so it sees that systems of law, religion, etc., are essentially just power grabs. And that the moral high ground now belongs to those who have been oppressed and those who have been in the places of power, and particularly the groups. Groups in places of oppression, historically, are now to be seen as holding the moral high ground, and groups that have historically been oppressive are now seen as um, immoral. They don't, have the, the, they don't have the moral authority to speak into or provide opinions about the subjects that are being discussed and debated in our society. Now, the strength, the strength of a postmodern perspective is that uh, it is especially... It is especially attuned to seeing oppressive systems. Um, you know, Tim Keller's written a few articles on this that I would. I'm gonna on the realm this week or next. I'm gonna post just a set of resources that that I have or will be using throughout this series. And you know, and and as is the case with all of these, they tend to be reductionistic, focused on one particular problem that they see in society or history at a time. Um, and so he equates it to you know he says. We're, we're, when, you, when you see a nail, the solution, to the, 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 the solution to the problem is the hammer. And so you go get the hammer, and the hammers are oftentimes too big. 
Well, he says, you know, they're really good at seeing the nails. Postmodern systems are good at seeing the injustices, the systemic injustices in our society. And one of the, one of the complaints that African-American leaders have had um, it, over the last, well, I think for a long time, but especially in the last few years, with all of these uh, debates and discussions going on, is that you know, African-American leaders have been raising these issues for decades. There are systemic problems in our culture and in our society. Um, and what, what historically has happened is that critics tend to immediately jump on them and say, hey, you know, you're, you're a proponent of critical race theory. You're a Marxist. You don't have to be a Marxist or a proponent of critical race theory to acknowledge that there are systemic injustices. All right? Again, there, there needs to be conversation and dialogue and a recognition of nuance. The scriptures in the Proverbs, written thousands of years ago, acknowledge several things about people who are poor. People who are poor can be poor because they are lazy and oftentimes engaged in substance abuse. That's one of the teachings of Proverbs. And the libertarians have focused on that dynamic within those who are poor. However, the Proverbs also teach that the poor are poor because of economic and political systems that have oppressed them. And that's been a, that hasn't been as emphasized in conservative circles. Okay, so one of the big debates right now is, is to what degree are people in a place because of personal responsibility, which is a conservative ideal, or are they in a place because of social structures and systems that are oppressive, which is a collective responsibility? So that's, that's really at the heart of a lot of the debates right now. And one of the, one of the things I'm really looking forward to, George Yancey um, is coming to speak, I believe, on August 8th. And he wrote a book called, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a black scholar out of um, Baylor University. He wrote a book called Beyond Racial Gridlock. And he goes over various ways that we've tried to solve the problem of racism in our country and has developed an idea called a mutual responsibility, where he, where he kind of integrates these two ideals. There is a need for personal responsibility. There is a need to recognize the social structures and systems. We've got to work together. So he'll be coming to speak in August. Again, all of these philosophies have sought to address a real problem. But the problem that they all have, they do not start with a conception of seeking God. If, if, if justice can be completely discerned and understand by those who seek God, these philosophies, almost, well, all of them, are actually starting with the agenda that doesn't want to seek God, believing that if you seek God in it, it will not lead to justice. It's, some of them believe it's going to lead to oppression. Some of them just believe it's not necessary. Some of them are atheistic in their nature. So they're not starting. So we as a church, we have to start with theories of justice that have as their foundation the pursuit of God. These are reductionistic, and again, they tend to oversize either the individual, libertarianism, or the group. Everything is kind of seen through the lens of the group, which is postmodern theory. And so what is, a, what is a, so these are the four prominent ones. What are they, what is a biblical framework of justice? 
So if justice is the restoration of righteousness, the working towards the good that God has created into his world, and if, and if righteousness and justice can be discerned by those who seek God, then I think that here's the framework that, I've, that, that I have tried to put together upon my readings of Proverbs and, and other scholars. First of all, a framework of justice has to be rooted in the goodness and the nature of God. It has to start there. Who is God? What is his nature? What is his purposes? Um, how has he created humanity? We, we have to start with a conception of who God is, what God is, and what his will for us is. And second, you know, the, the goal of these justice theories vary. You know, it's, it's, it's freedom, it's fairness, it's... Um, the lifting of oppression. What you see in the word, what you see in the purposes and character of God as a goal is unity and social solidarity. That is the goal. And you know what? No one is left out. It's not like utilitarianism where, well, the good is only possible for 80% of the people, therefore we're going to have to put 20% of the people under oppression in order for the 80% to enjoy the goodness of justice. That's not what God says. God says goodness is possible for every individual regardless of gender, nation, people, language, etc. Unity of all is the goal of biblical justice. Third point, God has established a social order with obligations to everybody in that order, with obligations that are characterized by generosity, which is the free giving of what you have for the benefit of others, and hospitality, which is the sacrificial loving of strangers. So God has established a social order with the undergirding values of love, which then translates into hospitality and generosity. Love being, in its essence, what Jesus defined as um, laying down your life for another. Bruce Waltke, uh, considered one of the foremost scholars on the Proverbs, says that a righteous person is one who is willing to deprive himself for the good of the community, and that a wicked community a wicked person is willing to deprive the community for the good of himself. That's the difference. And so, biblical framework of justice. It has to start with the good and true nature of God. It has to work for unity and social solidarity. It has to recognize that God has established a social order with the obligations of love therefore generosity and hospitality, things that cause us to look to the other rather than our own. And you see this in a framework of individual, family, church, and world. And so we as individuals are born into a framework where we are obligated to our families. We are obligated to our churches. We are obligated to our cities and to our nations. And when we start thinking about the world, and in particular those subjects around justice, 
we have to consider if, you're, if, if justice is the, the restoring of order, then you're going to have to consider the punishment of wrongdoing and the restoring of victims. So criminal justice is an aspect of justice in God's world, and God has ordered these things. B, in the world, we need to be pursuing what the, the Lord calls equity. It's the, it's the level playing field. We need to be working for everyone to have opportunities to live life. And the third thing, in the context of the world, God has called his people to, to advocate, all right? Really to be at activists, which for those of you that, that know me know, understand that that's not a word that I will often refer to myself as. But we are called to be activists for particular groups of people, the poor, the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan. And so when God calls us to do justice, the restoration of the righteous within the spheres of relationship we have, justice is something that we do as we love our spouses, as we love our children, as we respect our parents, as we take care of our kids. Justice is something, because we are waging against sin in ourselves. And so any effort to push away the evil and sin and disorder of our lives is an effort of justice. And so we do justice in the smallest social spheres that we have. We do justice in our church. We do justice in our neighborhoods. We do justice in our workplaces. And yes, we do justice in the world in concern for criminal justice, equity and fairness in our society, and advocating for those who are socially vulnerable, the poor, the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan. So that's just a framework. We're actually going to have the, the, a message later on in the series where we're going to unpack just those things in and of themselves and talk about those a little bit more, that framework. But we are called to do justice. And according to the Proverbs, we are called to do justice by seeking God. If we, if we are seeking God, we will be able to understand and do justice. It's like Jesus' statement in the, in the Gospels, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all things will be added to you. And he's sp talking specifically about material goods at that point. But here you have wisdom. If you are seeking the Lord, you will find the wisdom of justice. And it has some assumptions. First of all, God exists and he can be found. Second, that God is the ultimate pursuit. Happiness which is utilitarianism, success and freedom, libertarianism, power, postmodern communism, fairness. We all have various, our culture has various definitions of what those things mean. But within the framework of seeking God, God gives us an understanding of what happiness is, of what fairness is, of what power is. The pursuit of God will help us define these things that we pursue. And we see that they are byproducts, biblical byproducts of what it means to seek God. See, I think that we often, even as Christians that believe in God, I think 
there are some areas of our lives where we don't, we don't think Christianly, and we kind of jump into the world and its systems, and a lot of people in the world seek justice from the state. And the state's responsibility is to execute justice to some degree. Or some of us become anti-state. And, and it seems like the state, the government, politics, seem to be kind of at the center of, of our debates on these things. We think the state owes us. We think the state oppresses us. We think the state restricts us. And it, it, it really, it, it, just seeing that that is at the center of our experience of righteousness and justice and freedom, it really shortchanges the possibilities that we have. If we see that the seeking of God is central, not the state, whether we love the state or hate the state, if we see that the seeking of God is central to our pursuit of justice, these things will become minimized. But yet I think there's a last reason as I close. I think that the man who seeks God understands justice or the woman that seeks God to understand justice. They begin to understand justice because they see their own need for the mercy of God. In the face of his justice. Because in the face of his justice, who of us could stand? As I was just preparing my message, I just, I can identify areas in my life where I get angry at the people in my life. And, and the longing for justice, it's, the longing for justice is, a, it, you know, it's, you know, you take those tests in high school about what kind of careers you can pursue. Um, it, it's not uncommon for it within my family for um, criminal justice and law enforcement to be prominent. <laughs> the, the, the longing for justice is, is strong with, I think, everybody because we bear the image of God. Um, but you know what? Social solidarity and, and unity and love. See, if we can see our own need for the mercy of God, and if we can see that, that God, through Jesus Christ, deprived himself for our benefit, he became right. He, he, in his righteousness, he took on our unrighteousness. In, taking, in, in identifying himself with our sin, like we talked about last week, he identified himself as the slave owner. He identified himself as a racist. He identified himself as an oppressor. He identified himself in every aspect of our sin so that we could take on his identity as being a child of God, so that we could take on his identity as righteous and, and we, we will not understand the justice of God unless we are in that same place of, under, of needing to, to know the mercy of God. So because if we know the mercy of God toward us, that's what generates love. That's what generates compassion. That's what generates mercy. That's what generates generosity because we've seen that God has done all of those things for us. And so we're in this place where I don't have 
a leg to stand on in enforcing any theory of justice on anyone else that doesn't begin with my brokenness and my need for mercy. And with that, then I can humbly enter into the acts and works of justice because I'm doing it in the, in the spirit of the gospel with the spirit of God present within me and the pursuit of the good of others that is at least as important, if not as important, as my own good. And that's justice. Let me pray. Lord God, we um, are, are very thankful for your, your, the clarity of your word in such challenging and confusing times. God, I pray that you would help us to indeed understand justice, and we know that it begins with the gospel. Help us, God, to comprehend our own need for your mercy in the face of your justice as you do your work that you promised to do to bring about righteousness in your creation. Lord God, we want to be a part of that. In your son's name, amen.